My name is Joanne Averson, and this is the podcast, Pain Removed, Performance Improved. I'm feeling very privileged to have been invited to draw a series of pictures, each one depicting a week in the life of the human embryo. So there's eight images altogether, and it's required that I go very, very deep into the visual understanding of how, I was going to say how the embryo forms, but actually I could say how we self-assemble, because that's what we do. And I'm very fascinated by how we do that, and have been for a long time. And the research that I had to do in order to write yoga, fascia, anatomy and movement and include the chapter about embryology was a bit like a vertical learning curve for me because what I thought I understood about embryology after reading oh, probably six or seven books on the subject, I came across various discrepancies which really sparked my curiosity and sent me down all sorts of rabbit holes. Um, and what I discovered was that by drawing and painting in a, a not very brilliant attempt to recognise the at least three-dimensionality of the embryo, I began to understand how it forms in the round which is what we do. And it called me to question on a physical and philosophical level how embryonic development takes place. It was completely fascinating to me. And one of the phrases I wrote in in the first edition of my book was that we don't ever go into hospital to have a limb bolt-on procedure. We self-assemble in utero. Now, of course, we need the mother's help, but we somehow develop our own form, our own morphology or shape, and we develop our own placenta, which is what does most of the functioning for us while we self-develop. It does our metabolizing while we bring our structure into form until we can do it for ourselves. And it works all around us. So we kind of expand and draw in and expand spherically, if that makes sense. A little bit like a Hoberman sphere. If any of you don't know what a Hoberman sphere is, it's H-O-B-E-R-M-A-N apostrophe S, Hoberman sphere. You can buy it as a toy online. And it's brilliant because it will give you a fabulous sense of how the breath works, how the heart works, how the body works. And it's a keystone of biotensegrity because it shows you how a closed kinematic chain works, which is the name we give to the type of structure that the human body enjoys. That's another episode. But when you try to paint or draw 
the multidimensionality of the embryo. It's like drawing origami that folds in on itself and then somehow in multi-dimensions comes out as a baby after the fetal development, obviously. But what starts off as one unicellular being multiplies into a multicellular being in various patterns and forms of soft matter roundnesses and emerges as us. And at the end of the embryonic period of about eight weeks, eight, nine weeks, we might only be the size of an acorn if you held an embryo at that stage in your hand, it wouldn't even be as wide as the base of your four fingers. A bit bigger than a walnut, all curled up. Everything's in place. It's not mature enough to survive, obviously. But the fingers and toes, the eyes and ears, the nose, the mouth, the head, the body, the organs, they're all in place. They're immature. As I said, they couldn't survive the world. But the basic pattern is there. And so being invited to paint that in 3D, nearly impossible, um, has been really quite amazing. Because in fact, in order to learn it, I used drawing as a means of teaching myself how to understand it. Because most of the books classical books are reduced to diagrams in 2D, which are inevitably cut iconic drawings, graphics that actually destroy our ability to understand how it works, I think. And one of the things that we lose in the 2D is what I call embryonic spatialization. It's a word that doesn't exist. But Professor Daryl Evans said I could have that word. Thank you, Daryl. Really appreciate that. I mean, I did in my first attempts in understanding embryology, you have to understand, write some complete nonsense. And bless his heart, Professor Evans came down on me like a ton of bricks. Nope, you can't write that. You can't write that. Nope, that's not accurate. Where did you get that from? And I had to unravel even some of my teacher's teachings um, because they were wrong. And Professor Evans was Professor of Developmental Biology at Brighton and Sussex Medical School, has since become a very dear friend of mine. And I just love the generosity with which he invited me into Brighton and Sussex Medical School to attend some lectures and shared some of his lectures with me and pulled me very fast down a road to understand how magical embryonic development really is. And he wrote a beautiful paper in 2006, I think, called Connective Tissue, Is It the Forgotten Player? And now we know so much more about the fascia, and I have the great privilege also of of spending time in the anatomy lab with um, Professor Yup van der Waal and understanding so much more about the fascial matrix than I could hope to have learned from the books.
that I'd studied till that point. So between the two of them, it was quite a journey, let's put it like that. And the difficulty is that in 2D iconic images, what's lost is this sense of spatialization that the embryo has to organise. We tend a lot to read about embryonic development on the basis of genetics, the genetic patterning, the organisation of the species through the genes. And I'm not saying that isn't key for a minute. But if those genes don't have anything to express themselves in as motion, in motion, definition of it being alive, then there's much more to it than genetics. And that's called epigenetics, meaning upon genetics, more than genetics. But the idea that to be a an academic purist, you've got to be focused on genetics. And if you're not purist, you're dealing with epigenetics. When we are far more than the sum total of our genes or the sum total of an, our anatomy or our biomechanics. We're mystical and something invisible forces other than those that we can see animate the growing embryo. And for sure, there's genetic patterning in there. And it plays a key role in specialization and what's called differentiation. The big question being, how does the embryo know how to differentiate into form? How does an acorn differentiate into an oak tree? Is specialization and what also has to take place for that specialization to emerge as form is spatialization. In other words, where things end up at the right place and the right time, hopefully, is key to the survival process of the complete enclosed in skin human being. If it is to survive in the world. And one of the places that I was lucky enough to do my studies because I was drawing a lot of research from a variety of sources was Leonardo da Vinci and his exquisite drawings of the fetus and his studies of the uterus and the human form and anatomy. And he really was amongst the first, the earliest, to certainly the earliest artists, to really insist on anatomical study behind the painting of the human form. It used to annoy him tremendously that artists would paint what he called bulbous implications of muscles without understanding the true tenderness structure below the skin. Now, at the time, human dissection was completely forbidden. And, in fact, um, there is evidence that Leonardo was secretly doing dissections with bodies purloined from grave diggers um, by candlelight at night in the Vatican. So when he was found out, he fled for his life. Um, but his work is nevertheless extraordinary in the story of how it came. Most of his 
finest drawings came to be in the um, Queen of England's collection is a fascinating one that I won't go into now. But suffice to say, his genius mind and ability to ask questions and draw and organise his answers were extraordinary. And yet he was an ordinary man with all the problems associated in being human in Italy at the time of the Renaissance. But nevertheless, he, his work was deeply steeped in sacred geometry and mathematics. And in a way we could say without knowing biotensegrity, because although biotensegrity wasn't known then as a thing, his understanding of nature, his insistence on returning to nature for the foundational understanding of whatever he was doing was deep to all his studies. And there's a lovely book gifted to me by my dear friend John Sharkey, Leonardo on the Human Body. And there's a fabulous piece, there's a particular translation I'm just looking to tell you who did the translation. The translation and text and introduction is by Charles D. O'Malley, Stanford University, and J.B. de C.M. Saunders, University of California, Dover Publications. It's a fabulous book. And there's a lovely piece, and I'm going to read it to you. And this is a translation of Leonardo's writing that was called Mirror Writing on some of his drawings, in some of his notebooks. This, my depiction of the human body, will be shown to you just as though you had a real man before you. The reason is that if you wish to know thoroughly the parts of an anatomised man, you must either turn him or your eye, so as to examine him from different aspects, from below, from above, and from the sides, turning the subject around and investigating the origin of each member, and in this way satisfying yourself as to your knowledge of the actual anatomy. However, you must realise that such knowledge will not leave you satisfied on account of the very great confusion which results from the combination of membranes intermingled with veins, arteries, nerves, cords, muscles, bones and the blood, which of itself stains every part the same colour. The vessels which discharge this blood are not perceptible owing to their minuteness. The continuity of the membranes is inevitably destroyed in searching for those parts enclosed within them. And as their transparency is marred by staining with blood, this prevents recognition of the parts covered by them, owing to the similarity of the sanguineous colour. You can have no knowledge of one without confusing and destroying the other. And that, my dears, is one of the big issues that we address in anatomy. Whenever we're teaching anatomy dissection, particularly uh, I have the great good fortune to co-host events at Dundee University with, with John Sharkey, who's the clinical anatomist. And as someone who teaches fascial anatomy all over the world, and his work is extraordinary in that he 
allows the opportunity for those of us attending the courses to really appreciate how this continuity of form is completely destroyed as soon as we cut. And anatomy means to cut. And I love that Leonardo was struggling to show wholeness and aware that he destroyed it to examine it. And that's the big difficulty with painting the embryo or drawing it, because from the outside, you're looking through a membrane, the amniotic sac, which meets another membrane called the yolk sac. And where those two membranes meet is the embryo. And I've met doctors even who studied embryology very deep, briefly during their uh, medical years, who actually had some kind of an idea that the embryonic, the pre-embryonic form was a little bit like a lava in between the two layers of the amniotic sac and the yolk sac, the germ. It's called the germ layer, as if there was a germ inside that layer. But what actually happens is the amniotic sac touches the yolk sac and where they meet becomes the ectoderm or the skin, which then becomes the brain, and the endoderm, which is the gut tube. So the amniotic sac wraps round the yolk sac and pinches the yolk sac down and wraps itself around it and draws it in and it all reorganizes itself in this bio-organic origami. And the yolk sac becomes the incorporated, the endoderm, meaning inner layer, the incorporated gut and viscera and the umbilical cord and the amniotic sac part becomes the brain and spinal cord and skin. But those cells on the inside form the inside of the gut tube. So why we're surprised that we have a gut brain amazes me, because it was one of the first things I discovered in studying embryology, is that the true endoderm is made of ectodermal cells. So the brain lines the gut tube first and forms the skin of it which is within the endodermal tubing, wrapped by the ectodermal tubing, spheres wrapping spheres and invaginating within them. It's incredible. It's miraculous. And I already know, completely impossible to draw. So I'm just sharing with you how exciting this commission is and how impossible it is to draw in 3D, 4D, 4D, because it moves through itself. And anyone out there that thinks the fourth dimension is time, don't be daft. That would mean that there's no time in the third dimension unless it's in the fourth dimension. Time and space are the medium of dimension. Dimension occurs within space-time. And I know the scientific logic as to why time is considered to be the fourth dimension, but I just happen to be arrogant enough to think it's wrong. 
I believe that a fourth dimensional object is something that can move through itself topologically, which is what we do. And I also believe that we're multidimensional because we can actually imagine ourselves doing that. We do it. But I don't know how to draw it. So if anyone's got any ideas out there about how I can remove the pain of being given a commission that I can't actually complete, but I'm going to do my best and improve my performance so somehow people are going to look at my two-dimensional drawings and imagine a four-dimensional embryo. I'd love your thoughts on the matter. But I'm praying I can download Leonardo da Vinci's ideas. Wouldn't that be great? Can you imagine? close my eyes and channel Leonardo, think nature, and somehow something magical comes out of the pen or the pencil or the paintbrush and people can see or sense the embryonic development. Wouldn't that be amazing? Hmm. Wish me luck. Stay close. And I think I'm going to post some of the efforts on Instagram as I go along. Mainly because somebody's asked me to. I'm not very good at sharing my artwork. I'm a sort of starving artist who likes to work in a cave. But um, I think I might have to surrender that aspect of this archetypal pattern and just kind of get on with it since there are several of my drawings in my book. They're hardly secret. So I shall share the process and look forward to hearing your responses and hope that my very dear friend Pat, who's commissioned this, is extremely tolerant of my efforts to create eight images of embryonic development. Stay close, stay safe, stay happy.